Welcome to Audible Brutality. Two grouchy musicians humorously complaining about the state of music today. Featuring Adam Percy and Tim Vandeven. Take it away, Adam and Tim. It's a long way to Timerary. <laughs> it's a long way to go. Yeah. Oh my. Oh my. <laughs> I don't know. I've got my own theme song now. Yay! I don't know where <laughs> that came from. There you Probably go. Probably a very smooth part of your brain. I don't know. Copyright but, uh, Adam Percy, yeah. 2021. <laughs> There, yeah. yeah. COVID tunes. COVID tunes. COVID tunes. I have been inside for far too long. Oh, my God. <laughs> my favorite things about the inside and being inside are these four walls, the door that never opens, and my fear of everything in general. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And my skills as a singer are now exposed for everyone to see like a, well, like a dead know. deer on the side of a road. <laughs> so is my vocal talent. Oh, okay. I was going to say maybe autotune, but I don't think autotune can help a dead deer very much, you know? So, <laughs> Is someone going to do a remix of that? It's a long I, way mm, mm, tipperary. Mm, it's a long way mm, to go to Tim. I don't know. Uh, we should talk <laughs> We should talk to our buddy Gord Clement to do like some sort of uh, industrial, industrial, Ooh. industrial mix of that. So, definitely yeah. the, the, a long way to Tipperary does require heavy bass. <laughs> well, yeah. It just screams heavy Schwa. bass to me. I don't know why. <laughs> oh, it's bass in your face, man. Bass in your face. Oh. So, hey, I heard through the grapevine, and the gra- and strangely, that grapevine is you, but- actually. <laughs> it's a very short grapevine. Wait, did I just say you had a short grapevine? No, oh. I didn't say that. I was going to say you're uh, flattering me, but now I'm like, now I'm kind of like, hmm. Uh, twigs <laughs> and berries. Um, Apparently, my boy Adam has been doing a bit of voiceover work. And I know he's done it before. I know that back in the day with uh, John Greenberg, the third yeah. Beatle of this podcast, you guys did some commercials. And I remember I was part of one of them, the ice cream truck commercial I for Port Alberni. That. that was fun. Yeah. Yeah, it was fun. But I remember that. So you guys were doing voiceover work back in the day. And now you're doing a bunch more. So... I'm thinking in this time of COVID and this dearth of musicality where it's difficult to get musicians to come to your studio because they're like, I'm going to get sick or whatever, which is true. It could happen, you know. Voiceover work. You're doing voiceover work, which is, which is a good way yeah. to pay the bills. Well, so maybe you can share some of your techniques with us, Mr. Percy. Well, I don't know about techniques, but definitely, like you said, it, you know, when, when you're sort of forced to be confined in, into a space, when, when you're running a small studio, you start looking at things like voiceover to sort of, you know, keep things floating nicely. Fortunately, I, I, live, uh, I live on a tiny island in, in the Pacific. Uh, off of Vancouver Island, where you would think like it's very rural here. We we rural here. We we, we have like about a thousand people on this island, and uh, you know lots of draft dodgers and crazy hippies and stuff like that. But um, oddly enough, Denman Island is is a place where a lot of 
fairly well-known, shall we say well-known individuals want to come and hide out from the world. And especially during a pandemic, I think, you know, that people just kind of want to tuck away with their families and, you know, maybe avoid the, the limelight and the cameras and, oh, you know, mm-hmm. I'm expecting my close up, Mr. So-and-so. And, you know, <laughs> they want to get away from that, <laughs> which is probably a good thing. You know, everyone's got to unwind and put their feet up. So I, I've been sort of lucky in the fact that one of my co-studio owners and myself have, you know, been able to be in touch with a couple of the, you know, some of these people and, and help them to do some voiceover work. Very nice. I, I think we're pretty lucky that way uh, because, like I said, we're in the middle of a pandemic. And and I think the last thing that a lot of artists and talent want to do is, is, you know, get on a plane and fly down to Los Angeles to do the next Pixar movie or something or the next whatever, mm-hmm. you know, whatever. whatever or, the, even Van, or even Vancouver. Like, you know, they don't really want to go to Vancouver either. Yeah, so. well, I, I think in normal times, I think it's a bit of a task. You know, like the, the, there's a lot of jet setting involved and – you know, mm-hmm. we're we're in an age now where where the you know the democracy of technology is certainly making it easier in a lot of ways to do things like voiceover. Mm-hmm. But definitely, and I'm not going to go into any names or anything like that or or any mm-hmm. details mm-hmm. about the project that we were working on. But um, needless to say, it's 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 an A-list talent, and you know one of the things sort of proven difficult, oddly enough, is the technology. A lot of voiceover work now actually is pretty heavily dependent on the internet. Mm-hmm. Certainly in the production that we were working on, okay. uh, especially for ADR, which is when you're locking voice to picture, right? So right. you're doing, you're basically the, 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 the talent sees the scene as filmed or whatever on the screen. And they're doing, essentially they're, they're almost voicing over themselves. Right. Okay. So that's that's the stuff that we see on TV. Where it's like, okay, so they're standing outside. You can see their hair whipping around. There's yes. uh, 400 cars driving by at high speed, but we still hear the guy go, "Hmm, I'm not so sure about that." That's right. Yeah. That's what you're. That's what you're doing. You're you're doing the basically vocal overdubs is what it is, right? Right. So the ta- yeah, ex- that's actually exactly right. So. You, yeah, there there are oftentimes when when you're shooting on location for that's a, a shooting on location is the main reason I think why you would do ADR is yeah like it's it's a cop you know at the side of the side of a busy highway and there's a body on the side of the road and he's standing over that body and going hmm but meanwhile there's like yeah there's trucks and cars whipping by at 200 kilometers an hour and horns going off and like. Mm-hmm. So what winds up happening is, is even though they have a sound guy on set with a microphone and the, you know, the feathers all over the microphone, they're, they're picking up an awful lot of external noise. So what you wind right. up doing is ADR. You, you bring the same vocal talent back into the recording studio where you can isolate their voice a bit more and have them voice over what they did. So you're, you're, mm-hmm. you're getting an isolated performance of them. And that's tricky. You know, even... Even if you're dealing with, you know, the actor who has, who voiced it originally, they still have to kind of like mimic what they were doing and they're, they're looking at themselves doing it, which I think is kind of weird because, you know, yeah. So, and to top it all off, you have, you know, the, the, the audio department with whatever studio or, or, or film company or television company that you're working with, they all want to be present for this, um, yeah. How do you do that in times of COVID? Zoom, baby. Zoom calls. <laughs> so my my poor rural internet was just like creaking under the weight of 
<laughs> you know, like, you know, and and I had to rewire. It's not as easy as you think to to do that kind of voiceover work. You'd think, oh, it's just a microphone and a guy in a room. And yeah, yeah. I'm sure that's what some of our listeners are thinking. It's like, well, what are you talking about? I'm like, dudes, just put up a nice mic, put a pop screen in front of it. And if I remember back to episode two or three, put a pencil in front of it so things don't explode <laughs> yeah. and the sibilance goes away. But so how hard can it be, man? Just get a good sound, you know, get your preamp, get this, get that, blah, 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 right? No big deal, right? But like you said, he's got to watch himself. So he's just, like you said, so we'll imagine that scene of a cop on the side of the road finding a dead body, but it's it's a busy, busy highway. Right. As the cars go by, and it's windy that day, the talent has to look at him or herself, watch the way their mouth moves, and remember the inflection they used. Did they say, well, this guy looks like he's having a bad day? Or did they say... Hmm, looks like this guy is having a bad day. They have to remember yes. their inflection. They have to remember their delivery. I'm sure there's a recording somewhere, like you said, of the guy with the boom mic, you know, that they can listen to and they can practice to maybe at home. I don't know. I I haven't done any films yet. I've done music for films, but I haven't been in any yet. So <laughs> this is well but, this is this is where actually I think having quality ta- talent is actually kind of important. I know a lot of people sort of poo-poo, the, you know, the fancy stars with their Rolls Royces and da, da, da. but but I, I can tell you from my own experience recently, you know, mm. and, and I'm sure you can, like I've seen a few documentaries that sort of suggest this as well, is that um, a lot of time in the Zoom call, it's, it's as you say, Tim, the, there are people who are on the other line, you know, and they're, and in fact, actually, with this one session, we had to send like time code down the internet to another studio so that other people could watch, you know, the 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 cut of the of the film or the television show on their side. So I'm not only sending like you know Zoom data, I'm sending you know time code. Um, at one point, I was actually sending audio down the internet through this plugin called Source Connect. Dude, it, oh man, it was just like the amount of work to get this all happening. And, and what was, I think, really obvious to me in this maelstrom of technical, oh my God, what the fuck do they want me to do? Was that the voice talent, their patience and their, the fact that the, the, that a quality talent will take the time and look at the script and go, hmm, do you want me to say it this way or how about, you know, I try it this way and, and literally mm-hmm. every phrase they're like analyzing and they're patiently analyzing and they're not getting upset about it. They're actually, and, and meanwhile, there's, you know, there's the audio guy on the other end going, so, Hey, you know, so-and-so can you, can you say it this way? Can you say it with a little bit more yeah. pep? Oh, can you say it like you've got a diamond up your bum? Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> like they're asking almost like kind of crazy things. And the voice talent is sort of like, yeah, okay. And then they take a couple of takes of of doing that. And then they're like, oh, okay, that's great. Can you try this? Hyper analyzing ever, like sometimes mm. almost to the word. I'm glad that I was just literally handling the record stop operation and not having to sit there and sort of go, oh, hey, can you try it this way? Can you try it this way? Mm-hmm. I can't imagine the poor sucker at the other end when I send them these audio files and they're like, okay, here's 20 takes of so-and-so saying, I'm on the toilet. I'm on the toilet. 
I'm on the toilet. Like, having to go through that. <laughs> I'm on the toilet. For, for yeah. a, an, you know, a one to three hour film or television show and go through yeah. every single phrase. Like, by the end of it, I would, I would just want to drink myself silly for a week. <laughs> You know, like. <laughs> well, you well, okay. So I'm gonna I'm gonna draw a parallel here uh, for the for our, our valued listener. Yes. Um, when you were the producer of the Acid Test EP that I was part of, I remember you know sessions, blah blah blah. Yep. And us working against a clock and working against uh, the constraints of the time because I had to get out of Toronto and go back to work and you had to get out of there and go back and blah, blah, blah. And everybody had to scatter across the country like, you know, like so many cockroaches after the lights turning on. I'm amazed it worked. <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, well, and so you went back to BC. Steve at the time went back to uh, uh, the Maritimes. So you guys are literally covering both of the oceans lucy didn't have anywhere to go she lived in toronto and i moved i went back to saint jerome so i looked at all of that okay uh, that whole session and i think we did like for most uh the drums three or four takes of each song that's about right i couldn't imagine sitting back and waiting leo as you're listening going okay which is the best okay that's the best but i like what he did here so i'm going to edit the 48 tracks of drums and have the drop, you know, like it's, it's sort of the same thing in a way that you talked about with voiceover where you had to go back and you had to reconstruct. It's almost like you, you created a puzzle with a million pieces and now you got to figure out which blue piece goes next to which other blue piece. Well, that's actually, that's interesting. It's, it's almost like creating an audio version of the theory of relativity. You actually have, Mm -hmm seven to 20 puzzles all of which have pieces that are interconnected in different layers and then you just all you're doing mm-hmm. is trying to find the piece that fits best <laughs> so nice yeah i you know for, again fortunately all i was was just the recording engineer for those listeners out there who are sort of like well i can do that this is the one area when we were talking to to these production companies um, you know, uh, and, and there were a few different productions that we wound up doing, but when we were talking to these production companies, there was definitely an expectation of quality and that expectation mm-hmm. actually did extend to equipment. I've never had so many people ask me, you know, what kind of Neumann do I have? <laughs> It's like they're not they don't they don't want to hear that you're going to use a Sennheiser or whatever. They want the Neumann. They want the U87. Uh, What kind of preamp are you using? Like all that. And in fact, actually, that's it's one of the reasons, actually, I I, the studio here invested in in the tube pre that we purchased was Mm -hmm. for voiceover work because nowhere is that chain the vocal chain so important as it is with voiceover work they want they want continuity they want everyone sounding like they're all talking through the same microphone and they're all using u87s so um and in fact we managed to get away and not only that with with adr oftentimes you're actually setting up two different microphones you are setting up a closed mic a close proximity microphone so within say like half a foot to a foot away and then you have another microphone near the back of the sound booth that's slightly higher up 
that is the exact same microphone, but that's to catch things like if, say, like the actor has to yell at something, right? Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. you're, you're capturing an A and a B microphone. And both of these microphones, they expect them to be high like super high quality microphones basically we 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 own a a neumann uh tlm 103 and we wound up renting another tlm 103 because long and mcquaid i don't think we'll rent u87s because they're just too expensive so um but they found that passable let's just say they found it passable that's acceptable okay that's fine because we were really just doing pickup work anyway we weren't doing you know two hours of dialogue we were like oh we need to they wanted us to sub in a few different lines from you know something that they'd already recorded so you know the low-end neumanns were acceptable um (laughs) (laughs) sorry your thousand dollar neumann is uh not quite up to snuff as the twenty five thousand dollar 87 or whatever yeah in in film and television there is definitely i think an uh an expectation and mm-hmm. anything less than that, they won't hire you. Um, you know, we had to we had to do a little bit of investment on our end to sort of m- meet a, a bar of expectation. And a lot of our, I think, a lot of our our podcast is talking about you know how you know how to how to do things on a shoestring budget. Mm-hmm. And from my experience, getting the voiceover work so far, uh-uh, it ain't, that ain't a thing, man. Unless it's like an independent film production where they kind of don't really care if you're if you're doing stuff for Netflix or you know whatever Amazon or any of these you know sort of new streaming services or for film, uh, uh-uh, the ex you know the expectation will be that you are you are putting through you're doing an A class vocal chain and nothing less. Well, if you think about it, Adam, though you're still doing semi budget in a way, like you're using the TLM one hundred three, which is a fantastic microphone. Yeah. For anybody to use, it's just not the flagship. It's not the mic. It's not the U87. I mean, right. I've been in a number of studios that have had U87s, and it. And if the guy on the other end of the board has no idea how to use it or how to properly EQ it, yep. or even, I don't know, maybe later on mix the damn recording, it doesn't really matter if it was a U87 or an SM7. But like you said, these guys, it's voice. So there's no room for error. You can't have in the middle of his perfect take a little coming from your preamp because, whoops, your your tube just popped, you know? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Like, oopsie, right? So they're they're expecting you that you, yeah, okay. So instead of buying the $300 art, they want you to buy the $2,000 unit that you own, but they want you to burn your damn tubes in. They don't want the first thing that they do. To be their guy on the mic saying, I'm sitting on the toilet. You know, it's like, that's <laughs> yeah. that was perfect until the fucking tube exploded because or you had to burn the goddamn things bits. in. Yeah, yeah. My, 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 my amp, my whatever, my, yeah, my, my pre is breaking up somehow. This is the thing, too, is... Uh, yeah. You know, if you, when you're when you're talking about doing even a, a or B list kind of stuff, um, they are paying premium studio rates. It doesn't matter how small your studio yeah. is; they are paying you the rate that they pay a studio in Los Angeles. So we're talking two hundred bucks an hour, good dollars <laughs> minimum minimum four hours. So if they're paying those rates, there is an expectation that you will also be putting things that are of 
you know, of that rate expectation in front of their talent. (laughs) So that's right. Yeah. uh, You can't kind of, you kind of can't cut corners in that regard. At least I don't think you can cut corners and get away with it. It just isn't a thing. Probably not. I mean, for radio, when I did the voiceover for you, I used the microphone chain that I like using with compression, et cetera, et cetera. And I sounded good. And, you know, it was good enough for radio. And I recently did a recording with uh, my girlfriend, Carolyn, and we did it for the um, for the the well the anniversary. I, I don't want to. It's like uh, it's such a heavy day, the Polytechnic massacre. Yeah. So she had been. We had been asked by a friend of mine who works for a chain of radio stations in South. I want to say southwestern Ontario, near Lake Huron, that area, to do to read French names of the people that the the, the people that died. And um, because, you know, down there, they didn't have anyone that, that could speak French. So it'd be, you know, it'd be like, John Charest, you know, whatever. I'm just making it up. <laughs> Jean, Jean Charest did not die in the Polytechnic. No, no. <laughs> um, but, you know, so they would say things, you know, they would say things really weird. So they, my friend suggested that we, you know, that why don't we get my buddy to do this? And so I had Carolyn do this and say the names because, of course, Carolyn's first language is French. Anyways, uh, so... I coached her in the same way that you talked about your talent being coached remotely. Okay, can you say that with a bit more of this? And can you say that with a bit more of that? And my coaching with her was a little simpler. It was, okay, enunciation, it's all about elocution, right? So that the name comes out. And say it slowly. Don't say Adam Percy. Adam Percy. Not Adam Percy. Yeah. Right? So, and again, but it's not Adam Percy. (laughs) You know? Yeah. So just the, and the elocution, not Adam Percy. Wait, you swallowed your D. You got to say Adam, but not Adam, not Adam, Adam. And then you, you know, with the voiceover work, you start getting in your own head. If you're the voiceover mm. talent, I find perhaps the professionals are like me. I do this every day, you know, but when I've been asked to do it, that's what happens to me. Anyways. Geneviève Bergeron, Hélène Colgan, Nathalie Croteau, Barbara Daigneault, Anne-Marie Edouard. Maude Aviernik, Barbara Kluznik Vidayevich, Marise Laganière, Marise Leclerc, Anne-Marie Lemay, Sonia Pelletier, Michel Richard, Annie Saint-Arnaud, Annie Turcotte. To the to the average punter, you know, like they're you know, those who, you know, yeah, they throw on that, you know, Netflix show or that Disney movie or, you know, whatever. They throw on that film and they see the, the the sort of the final output and they sort of go, Oh, you know, like it, it, it's funny, you know, when, when you sort of know how these things work in the background, you're sort of like, Oh, you know, people can be really harsh with criticism of films, you know, like, yeah, there's mm-hmm. terrible movies out there, but you know, when you're, when you're involved, even with something just as, you know, straightforward as, as voiceover work, mm-hmm. the, the sheer volume of stuff that you wind up recording. And to your point, Tim, this is, I think again, where you know people complain about oh how much they pay the movie stars these days. Well, you know what the movie <laughs> the movie star actually again ha- the the poor talent who comes to my you know shitty little studio in the back of the woods you know uh, into the sound booth uh, they're locked in this tiny you know kind of you know black you know, sound booth with a, like a light bulb hanging down from the ceiling and, you know, two microphones in their faces and a monitor crammed in there with them so they can see what they're doing. Like they have to sit there for hours and then they have to sit there for hours and actually act 
to something mm-hmm. that you know may or may not wind up being in the film that you know may wind up changing down the road and they have to be on point that whole time to again i think what you were saying about elocution there's Mm -hmm. there's a saying that i've heard that people can hear when you're smiling in voiceover (laughs) work like they can hear it It, they can if you just listen to a recording you can actually tell if someone is smiling or not so Emotion translates even without the visual element there, mm-hmm. the, the actor on the screen. So, yeah, things like elocution, emotion, like all of these things actually, they may seem small and insignificant. But when you piece all of that stuff together, it's think of watching, you know, a, a really high quality film, yeah. um, you know, like a, an Oscar worthy film. And then think of, you know, watching a kung fu movie that's been over. That's it. But Im- imagine, for example, like you talked about emotion. So your voiceover guy is in there, like you said, smiling, frowning, making faces. He's acting while while the re- the recording's going on. Imagine if movies were made without acting. So, you know, cut to the first yeah. scene of Saving Private Ryan, okay? So p- nobody's acting. Everybody's running around getting shot at, and some guy says... Oh my God! The Germans are shooting at us. We really should keep moving. Oh my goodness! What do we do? I have to. That I poor to guy on the, the beach bathroom. with I his guts poop. hanging out, going, "Mama, I just, oh, oh, mama, oh, oh, mama!" Oh my, oh my goodness! My goodness! I have these are my intestines. Oh my God! What do I? I oh, I'm dead. Eh. Like <laughs> totally. All of a sudden, you know, you start ending up like even even a crap movie like The Room has decent overdubbing on it. You know, so. Um, it's overdubbing is essential and it's it's another skill and hey maybe our listener will have a better appreciation of that crappy Netflix documentary or film that he just watched about peaches and things you know how peaches will kill you and you know uh, deadly peaches right. from Georgia you know without right. without having the voice you know without having the voiceover actor saying this is a field of peaches. These are peach trees. They, each one is very deadly. They can kill you. The end. <laughs> so. Totally. And well, and and this is why in 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 my most recent experience, where yeah, I have to have this. You know, this is where it got kind of crazy because, of course, I've got this computer that is recording high quality audio. Um, at the same time, the picture is in the DAW, so my computer is running, you know, this high-quality video while recording high-quality audio. And then I have to set up another computer that is handling the Zoom call, and, you know, the, the voice talent has to hear what the Zoom conversation is saying as well as what the video is showing, but then also has to hear their own voice and has to hear the beeps and the cues it's complicated, man. There's there's a lot going on, and and this is probably why actually there are recording studios that are set up specifically just for voiceover and ADR. I would say to our listener out there, if you have questions, fire them off, man. Adam is uh, Adam would love to get your emails about this kind of stuff. You know, if you have yeah, any, if if you need tips and tricks and suggestions from, you know, the audible brutality voiceover master himself, it's uh, Adam. <laughs> you got to talk to Adam about this stuff. It's a decent recording chain, right? So you've got a good mm-hmm. mic, you've got somebody that's speaking clearly, and you've got a noise-free recording where it's not like the recording says, please buy Imperial Margarine. Uh, <laughs> As you can hear yeah. your gate open up because your preamp is too noisy, you know? Yeah, so right. 
<laughs> you know, that sort of stuff. So, but Adam has been working at a higher level. So if you have questions, please fire them off. Adam loves questions. I higher level in the sense that I've been I have been fortunate enough to actually have quality like A-list talent come into my studio. I've been really lucky in that regard. Like I I trust me, I am like I'm <laughs> I'm counting those little tiny blessings that I wound up getting a gig scoring some gigs like that. Honestly, not what you to your point, 90% of of what makes that good really is the voice talent. You know, mm-hmm. it, it is the same like you were saying like we've always said with recording. It is the same uh with with voiceover work as it is with recording a band. Shit in, shit out. It doesn't matter if you're using a Neumann and uh you know, $10,000 converters and a $4,000 preamp. Mm-hmm. If it's shit going in, it's going to be shit coming out. There is no plug-in that will make you sound like the killers. Last year, we interviewed Gord Clement of NTTX. Now, as some of you know, Gord and I have a history going back to high school. There was a part of that episode that ended up on the cutting room floor. And Adam and I listened to it a little bit later on and thought that it would be great to drop it into a random episode sometime in the future. And that random episode is this one. So enjoy while Gord and I wax poetic about being the high school studs that we were back in the day. So now the so, so now the question court is your high school English teacher who was it? Uh it wasn't Mr. Powell. Uh he wasn't he wasn't my English teacher either, but uh he was our music teacher. So I think oh, yeah. we owe him a bit for, you know, our stellar career. I uh I, I <laughs> yeah. Mr. there's there's uh, I'm almost getting emotional here. Mr. Powell uh means a whole lot to me than more than more than just a music teacher. And I don't mean this in a funny, weird way. Uh I had some difficulties growing up and Mr. Powell really kinda helped me through some of this stuff. Uh I really have oh, to he's thank a great him. guy. Right. Oh, he's a fantastic guy, Gord. The reason I play drums is probably him. Oh, totally. Um, oh, for me, because I, I think what there's a couple, a couple of years difference between you and I, two yep. to three years, right? Yep. Uh, so, <clears throat> grade nine, I'm getting bullied. I don't want to be bullied. I'm. I want to play drums. I've always been interested in it. It's grade nine. I don't have a drum kit at home. And Holy I shit! You started this... playing drums in grade nine. Yeah. yeah. Oh my god. So I didn't, I, I had, I, well, I, I had taken piano for years before, previous, like conservatory piano. So when music's the, you know, I finally got into instrumental music in grade nine because in MJ Hobbs, which was our senior public school <laughs> yep. previously, there was no, there was vocal music. That was it. There wasn't, there wasn't a band. Not even recorders. So, well, yeah, sometimes they pull out the recorders, but that's just to piss off the parents because who really wants to hear that? <laughs> So the only the only good recorder solo ever is the friendly giant theme. Yes. So um but moving like so grade nine, I say to Mr. Powell, I don't, you know, it's music class first day, I want to play drums. And he says, Well, no, drums are easy, you know, you don't need to read music. Uh learn something else first. So I said, Fine. So I started learning to play the baritone, not the sax, but the uh the smaller t- version of the tuba. And then, which is in the same register as a trombone. And then I said to him, I really want to play drums. And he said, if you're serious, 
buy drumsticks, and I will give you access to the lunch to the music room at lunch every day if you want, if you're serious. And I'm like, oh. So he said, show up here just before the just after the bell rings, bring, be here with your lunch, be here with your sticks. I'll open the door, let you in, and you can lock yourself in for the lunch hour. And that's what I did for the first two years of high school. Every lunch. Holy crap. It's a, you like it's a way to get you were you oh well uh, still are, but you were a freaking amazing drummer and I can't believe that you started. It just makes me want to cut off my arms. <laughs> <laughs> you could join a uh, you could join a band after that, I think, well, <laughs> as their drummer. But um which is another story. We can talk we can make jokes about Rick Allen. He's actually he's kind of an inspirational he's oh, a, kind totally. of an inspirational story, man. Totally. But anyway, so no, the whole thing was is that uh, because of piano, I always already had the dexterity in the limbs, the the arms, right? The left and right, left and right. Mm. And that's also why I play the wrong way, according to most drummers. <laughs> so the way I play open with the left hand on the hi-hat instead of the right hand. Well, um, And the right symbol on the left side. And this is on a right-handed kick. A hero of you and I, Stuart Copeland, said there's no such thing as a left-handed piano. That's right. Ah, yes. <laughs> that's it. Yes. <laughs> That's it. And I mean, <clears throat> so I started playing like that. I was told by other drummers, no, that's wrong. And I remember, you know, in my, you know, in your reckless youth, when you're young, your early teens, you're pretty sure you know everything. <laughs> so uh, one, a drummer came to me and said, no, you have to cross your arms over. I said, why? The hi-hat's here. That's dumb. <laughs> like, you know, if I'm going to reach for this rack, Tom, do I have to hit, like cross my arms over for that? And he's like, no, well, you cross your arms for the hi-hat. And then you, I said, oh, so the ride symbol's over there. So I should cross my left arm over and play the ride symbol. He's like, no, that's dumb. I'm like, why don't I just move the ride symbol to the left? <laughs> you can't do that. <laughs> you know, <laughs> didn't, didn't Ringo play uh left-handed style on a right-handed kit that, which made his playing weird. But I mean, yeah, I, I, yeah. I liked Ringo's playing. He did things and yeah. fills and stuff, leading with the opposite hand. He'd lead, he'd lead with the left hand, so he couldn't go da, 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 <laughs> starting with the right. It would be da, 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 da. he would, which actually was oh, really totally. musical, you know. And the big thing with that, uh, the song, um, doom, doom, doo, 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 everybody plays it wrong. He goes up the toms. He doesn't go down the toms. He starts on the floor and moves back up to the rack tom. Yeah. Because he's starting with his left hand. It won't work going the other way if you start with your left hand. But yeah, no. So we had some comp uh, some, some stuff in, in common there with Mr. Powell that it's basically he'll, he he let us sort of, I loved it that he let us sort of oh, fly yeah. free. I, I, he, spend, um, I, I, he, um, I remember him telling me throw away the drum music when the, when the music was boring. You know, the drum part would be written, doom, doom. Doom. You know, and you're playing the, the theme song to Mork and Me yeah. in high school <laughs> band, right? And he and he would say, that music's terrible. I'm like, yeah, I know. And he's like, throw it away. So I would take it out of, you know, the binder or whatever and put it on the ground. He's like, no, <laughs> crumple it into a ball and throw it in the garbage. I don't want you to ever play that again. Win I remember it. the few Make times that you and I actually played yeah. together in school band. I remember we were doing, yeah, the the the... TV's greatest hits. I remember playing uh, uh, Miami yes. Vice, and you brought in Roto Toms because that was the drums they used for ding 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 ding. I think at the beginning, and uh, yeah, I felt so proud being able to play beside you. Well, it was to me it was fun because I always liked having a foil because before you, Rick Baker was there, and Rick and I got along really really well as well. 
<clears throat> and it was never like, oh, well, I'm the drummer and you're the percussionist. We always switched. It'd be like, okay, so I'm the guy doing the ridiculous stuff on, you know, on the congas, <laughs> you know, while the, while the drummer's going, whatever. So when you were there, it was the same sort of, uh, same sort of idea that we both had that it was just like, it was now instead of two guys fighting over who plays the drum set, it's now two guys playing stuff together. And now, you know, maybe we'll hear the band, but you don't need to because you got these cool drummers making all kinds of neat noises <laughs> in the back. <laughs> you know? and, and the tradition of knocking something over during the valedictorian speech. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> oh. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That actually oh, happens. Yeah. I don't know how long, how many years that went by, but uh, yeah. <laughs> There's usually something. Yeah. There'd be some valedictorian speech of somebody, you know, someone who got all their strict. Well, you know, a like a symbol falls or... off a stand or a stand collapses <laughs> yeah. or the hi-hat gives out or, yeah. you know. Leg on, a, leg, leg on the timpani goes out, uh, you know. Yeah, it's just all, <laughs> boom, boom, yeah. Uh, yeah. That, and you get the look of death from the music teacher like, uh, how did you not prevent that, yeah, you know? Yeah, I think he clued in, though. Oh, yeah. I, yeah, I still remember yeah. the, one of the last few shows I played with Powell, and that was like the... The, the big, uh, I can't think, year-end concert, you know, and we played in the gym and the parents are there. Uh, mm-hmm. I didn't wear the school uniform. I had, I basically looked like Ducky from uh, 16, <laughs> was it 16 <laughs> Candles or whatever? I had like, nice. uh, pretty round uh, Phil, is it Phil Gould who was a drummer from Level 42. I had those round glasses on. I had Christmas lights all over it. I had a parrot hanging from a ride cymbal. Uh, I saw the pictures. Uh, our friend Leanda Maxwell oh, yeah. had taken photos of you. You had like the Tivoli lights around yeah. your drum yeah. set. <laughs> yeah. And then, oh, and then Powell awesome. basically does the ready hands up looking and he looks at me and he just shakes his head and laughs. <laughs> and, <laughs> I, uh, one, and then was it Qantas Music Festival or what is it one that we would do? I hung a, a life-size, uh, I can't remember if it was Jason or uh, Freddy uh, Krueger poster from the uh, ride symbol that I had cranked way the hell up. Uh, <laughs> you know it, it's it's showmanship and fun and stuff like that i mean you gotta have now adam it. knows where it all came from. Now adam knows where it all came from now, oh shit so. yo just because we had an, yeah uh, wow I, ultra lenient i, I got teacher. more information than i needed <laughs> what's an ultra lenient like, music now teacher. I have so many questions for tim <laughs> oh he was he, he was pretty forgiving i remember bringing symbols back i'd borrowed over the holidays that i'd cracked oh you know and he was, I was, he was like, how'd this happen? I'm like, I don't know. I was playing them and then I saw this and he's like, eh, okay, well, we'll do, we'll, we'll get some new ones. And the new ones were terrible. I was so bummed oh. because the older ones were nicer, you know? Oh, I, I brought, and then, brought in my own drum kit for music class. I think my, my drums, I basically brought in and I left them, uh, there, uh, my old Pearl export kit, which, you know. It wasn't the greatest drums, but it sure was better than. They're the, not bad though. You can make a lot of music. On oh those, yeah, you know, it was still better than the. I don't know what the heck was on their maxi tones or something from Sears. That well, we had a. There was an old coronet set, which was one of those what the what the, some drummers like to call the Japanese firewood drums, which were the stencil off stencil brand drums from back in the day, where it's a knockoff of a Slingerland kit. Oh or, yeah knock off of a of a you know like stewart drums for yeah. instance now so contains 50 percent more balsa wood 
Well, that's it. Uh, yeah. Well, they they were light to carry, and they did blow over in the wind. So, um, but there was there was an older there was an older Premier kit there too oh, that yeah. wasn't too bad. But but both of them had been through the ringer. It's like there was no love. I mean, anybody that played the drums there, they, nobody gave them any love, right? So. No. They got the absolute tar beat out of them. So, like, and the funny thing is, that premier kid, if the school still had it, I could probably find a collector who would give them two grand for it, you know, because it was that gold foil, original hardware oh, stuff, yeah, you know. Yeah, I mean, yeah, the gold bubbly tints. Yeah, it looks like someone taking like bubblegum wrapper and wrap the, the wrap the drums. Yeah, they were pretty, yeah. but uh, they're just so far. Uh... Yeah, they'd, they'd seen better days, you yeah. know. But, um, that whole, that whole time was like, that was a fun time to, to, you know, we had a great music teacher who encouraged us to do crazy things, you know, putting lights on drums and deciding that, you know, this, uh, Masorgsky song we're going to do requires a cowbell, you know, <laughs> you know. <laughs> I, you know, so after I got into Carl Palmer, I started, I started putting in way too many fills, you know, and that's not Carl Palmer's fault. Um, but it's like, oh, there's, there's a, there's a one beat rest there. Maybe I can do a roll on the cowbell, you know, like, <laughs> so, and I, I, I remember playing with you a bunch of times at different shows and, you know, it's just, it was so much fun. It was a lot of fun those days. Yeah. So. I mean, a lot of but, people have dark. I mean, we both kind of hid from our bullies in the music room that I remember, and you, but yeah. you end up also finding people that are still your friends to today. Like uh, uh, Rob Irwin was a guy, and Leanna Maxwell, and 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 all these mm-hmm. people that I remember growing up with in high school that hung around the music class, and I would let in have remained to be friends and still in contact with. To this day, mm-hmm. uh, well, that's for awesome. me, like my friend John Gilbert, who uh, Adam knows because John lives yeah. out uh, on Vancouver Island near Adam. Yeah, um, and they've worked together and Just they met the years way. before. And uh, I, John, I used to get John to come in. You remember? Do you remember late bus night, Gord? Wednesday nights, the you, there was another bus that would leave at like five o'clock or something. You could stay at school if you wanted to. Well, I I lived relatively close to the school. I lived off of Hancock Road there. I used to. So, uh, oh, you could just hoof it over. Yeah, if you I just rode to. my bike. So I I don't remember any late bus. But there was a there was a late bus night, and I'd get John to come over, and he would guitar and drums, you know. And of course, everybody'd want to come hear this guitar player. So yeah. And that's grade eleven. So <laughs> yeah, my my guitar player in for my grade was uh, Chris Oxenham, but he was right into Van Halen, and I really didn't know much Van Halen. <laughs> <laughs> but we played Panama. <laughs> well, of course, why not, man? Why not? He wanted hot for so, a teacher. I'm like, I'm not Tim. Yeah. Oh no, I couldn't do that. That's two bass drums, man. You know how I feel about two bass drums, Gord. Yeah. <laughs> Oh man! What is it's, that like? Wearing somebody else's underwear or something? Playing two bass drums? Yeah, on your head. <laughs> yes, <laughs> on your head. Yeah. Captain, fresh out of the laundry basket. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I just I, I remember trying double kick once in like '87 when I was in a band with John Gilbert and uh, my friend Andy Hober and uh, Adam Hyland, not Adam Percy. I hadn't met Adam yet, but that and I remember using playing some double kick. I'd bought one of the first double kick pedals you could get. Yeah, same and, here. <laughs> and it was a. I think I probably bought it from you or Gord. It was. It was when you were working at uh, Alto Music. Yep. So, uh, 
I tried it for a night and these guys, the guys were like, no, there's no room for us in anything, man. Like this, that's got to go away. I'm like, oh, fine. The, uh, I, I, so I, I had I, one. I only used it every so often for a fill or for something like kind of a thing. That was about it. I never did like, you know, but I tried using it in stuff and like, okay, you know, normally where I'm kicking eights on the hi-hat, what if I'm kicking eights on the bass drum with my left foot and playing something else with the right and all you you're making Carmen and I a piece cry. Well, there you go. Audible Brutality is presented by Adam Percy and Tim Vandeven and recorded remotely on Denman Island, British Columbia and in St. Jerome, Quebec. Music submissions or general inquiries can be made through our website at audiblebrutality.com. Give us a like on Facebook or Instagram. And of course, if you haven't yet, subscribe to the Audible Brutality podcast on iTunes or Spotify. Thanks for listening.